You're listening to Bellwether's podcast with Matthews Joseph. All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Bellwether's podcast. This is Matthews. And today we have Emma Daughter with us. Uh, she is the host of Join the Journey podcast. It's a podcast aimed uh, to help improve Bible reading, which uh, which goes on a 365 days basis and helping, giving you a guide and, you know, helping you out on how to read the Bible. Uh, she also, she's also part of Watermark Church here, right here, local in Dallas. And it's such an honor and joy to have you, Emma. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Matthews. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, do you mind uh, sharing about yourself in a, in a real quick uh, manner, just like you know, everybody can know about you and what you do? Yeah. So I, I came to know the Lord at a very young age when I was in early elementary school. And I believed that I was a sinner in need of a savior, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, defeating the grave such that I might find life in him. But as I grew up, I began to think that, uh, being a Christian meant that you just didn't get in trouble, that you had to live this perfect life. And I missed that the gospel isn't for a one-time event. It's for the rest of our lives. We never will measure up. That's the beauty of the cross. And as I grew up, this um, prevailing idea started to um, be fleshed out as I began to learn from other believers who knew what it looked like to walk with Jesus faithfully in light of their brokenness and imperfections. And so around the time I was a sophomore in uh, college is when I was certain the Lord was calling me to ministry. At that point, I'd grown in my faith a lot uh, and was regularly pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And I started out working in college ministry post-grad, so graduated from Texas A&M with a degree in English and worked with college students there at a local church and paused uh, my time there to come to the Watermark Institute and do a 10-month seminary intensive program to continue my education. And ever since then, I actually haven't left Dallas because I've been working at Watermark ever since. So like you mentioned, during the journey, it is a uh, daily Bible reading plan that Watermark Community Church puts out. And my role is to help get people into the Bible regularly and to help them understand what they're reading. So beyond just supplying a reading plan, uh, we want to help break down the parts of the text that might be tricky, difficult to understand, that kind of stuff. Man, that's that's awesome. That's really great. Uh, what you're trying to do, you know, three sixty five days. I think, uh, I think you know, that's that's really amazing when you actually be consistent in reading the Word of God. As you know, the Bible is the most important book in the whole wide world, and it's not just a book; it's it's life. And so, uh, you know, and it's very important that we read that. So while we're on that topic, I wanna I wanna, I wanna ask you this question: uh, How do you how do you feel like you know leaders should be? Uh, how do you feel like leaders should read the Bible? Do you think uh, how important do you think that uh, Bible reading is is in leadership? I would say incredibly important. So the first example that comes to mind is that of Joshua. So think uh, Old Testament books. You're going Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And in the book of Deuteronomy, you get Moses's final charge to Israel, all of his reminders uh, kind of recounting the nation's history. He's been their leader for several, several years, but he's about to hand off the reins to Joshua. It, excuse me. In the book of Joshua, chapter one, as Moses is giving his final, final last words of his instruction to, to Joshua, he says in Joshua one, verse eight, 
uh, uh, Moses says to him, this book of the law shall not depart from your lips, but you shall meditate on it both day and night, being careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And then it goes into the classic Joshua 1, 9, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. God will be with you, whatever. But that that one eight verse was critical for Joshua's leadership. Meditate on the word of God both day and night, being careful to to observe all that is written in it. Because you look at Joshua's leadership and he did have success. So as he was leading this nation, driving out foreign armies from the land that God had promised to them, you see him prosper. Now that doesn't mean it was always easy. They had to march around Jericho, all the classic Sunday school stories. It didn't mean that his life was gonna be rainbows and butterflies because he read God's word. It wasn't do good for God, get good for God. But uh, that instruction informed the way he thought about leading the people such that he led them in a very successful way. Wow. Yeah, that's that's totally amazing. And I think that's so relevant too in today's culture, because as as we grow up as leaders, I, th- I feel like, you know, the Bible is like a go-to book. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, it has all kinds of it has every kind of situation that you'll ever face in the world. So uh, be it financial, be it entrepreneur, be it, um, you know, be it leadership, you know, whatever it is, like it has all the key elements to it. And why we read that we discover uh, what, what God is trying to speak to you. And I, I know a friend of mine always says that the Bible is the book uh, why you read the book, it reads you as well. So that's like, that's the speciality. And I feel like that, like what I was just saying about Joshua's story, I think it's very important as leaders that you know we need to reflect that culture like we reflect that that uh that habit into our lives and how important it is and you know what we're still on that i want to want to go on for the next one as you know about habits you know and you know how, how do you feel about habits and you know habits how do you think that defines leadership and how do you think that shapes a person's leadership skills yeah, I think they're really important. So you think about going back to that verse, meditate on it day and night. There's an implication that you would have a routine, that you would have a set of habits for the morning and the evening. So when you think about um, leadership, there's this saying, I'm not sure who said it, but they said the pace of the leader equals the pace of the team. And so if the leader is flying out the door every morning, running late, uh, grabbing breakfast on the go, dropping papers, trailing in the wind as they're walking. The team is going to notice that. The team's going to feel this frenzied, rushed pace that the leader is setting. Whereas were the leader to uh, get up earlier, come prepared in the work in come prepared to the workday, show up uh, with 15 minutes before the first meeting, show up early to have time set aside to prepare that, prepare a review that Uh, notes for that day's meeting. When you start to get those rhythms in place, you see the team start to gel more closely together. So think about, um, I mean, really going back to Joshua's leadership, what happened after uh, Joshua was the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we see the people reject the leadership God had put over them, not because there was anything wrong with the leader, but because the people were looking at the rest of the world, all the shiny things and thinking, We want what they have. So then what would happen is God would raise up a leader and uh, this leader would have success. So you would see specifically their judge. And so you see seven cycles of sin that the the people that were being led would uh, reject the leader God set over them. Then they would 
have a consequence and then they'd cry out to God in supplication and God would then set over them a judge. But the problem became as each judge ran its course and passed away. So did their lifetime as a leader dies. There's no new leader. The Israelites, God's people would return back to their old ways. And so what we do see importance of generational leadership. And so how can I as a leader, as I start to instill habits and rhythms in my own life, uh, teach those to the upcoming leaders behind me? Because the problem with uh, Joshua was that he failed to train up a leader behind him. Then the problem with these judges is that when they when their time as leader ended, the people went right back to their old ways. They hadn't uh, created rhythms and habits when it comes to raising up the next generation of leaders. So in my own context uh, at Watermark, one thing our leadership does is what they called ride, call ride-alongs. And the idea is that you'd have a senior leader, maybe a head pastor or uh, our communications director, she's a female. You'd have a leader who's looking at the staff or looking at the interns and say, we call them residents and fellows, but looking at them and saying, hey, I've got a meeting coming up. It's a hard pastoral care or it's a um, exciting doctrinal meeting. Come right along with me. And that has become a rhythm or a habit of our senior leadership to say, I'm going to regularly invite the younger leaders in. And what that does is not only does it teach us, but it inspires us toward excellence. It's encouraging. Uh, it is helping us be better leaders in the future, really. Wow. I think also on one of the points by you, like, you know, about ride-alongs, I feel like, you know, about, about, about legacy. Now, as a leader, you know, that's something we definitely have to leave behind. And, you know, and how do you feel about that? How do you feel like we should, uh, what, what are some ways like to ensure that we leave a legacy as, as a leader in, in our community? So I, it's funny that you asked that. I was actually speaking with a, a mentor of mine earlier this week and uh, she, she, we were talking about just this concept of uh, celebrity pastors, celebrity church leaders, the up and coming, uh, all, all, of the, all of the facets that are added with social media. And as we began to talk about it, I realized all throughout the history of the church or really just history in general, we have always had celebrities. And in my context, specifically the church, uh, you have, we wouldn't call them celebrity pastors. We'd call them heretics or we'd call them legends. Like they're the, the legends of the faith, like a C.S. Lewis or a Spurgeon who people look back on and, and read their written works and admire. And then there are uh, heretics, the people who left a poor legacy, so to speak. And so when I think about what legacy do I want to leave I'm assessing, hey, what am I leading people to? Like that's that's ultimately the goal of leadership is not that I would accumulate followers, but I would lead them to something purposeful. And so in the ministry context, that's that's the faith, that's Jesus. But I think you, you step into the secular world or to corporate America, and really it's the why behind what you do. So seeking to lead in wisdom usually means I'm seeking to lead in such a way that I would leave a positive legacy. But if I'm seeking to lead out of selfish ambition, to grow an empire, to um, be huge for the sake of being huge, it's probably not going to go well. So um, a classic example, I think about uh, Solomon in First Kings. So you've got King David who left an excellent legacy, though he 
uh, throughout his lifetime had made some mistakes. Overall, his legacy as the leader of Israel was excellent. It was pristine. And in First Kings 3, you see his son Solomon saying, hey, uh, Lord, I want to leave a legacy like my father David did. I have got big shoes to fill. And he looks out at the people and he says, man, the, the people that you have set me over are numerous. There are many, and I'm just a young boy. So would you, he prays, give me an understanding heart that I might discern the difference between good and evil. That's what he prays. So in short, he, he seeks to acquire wisdom as a leader. Right. And I begin to think through that idea and process, okay, he, he seeks to leave a legacy that's positive like his father's and his means by which he goes about trying to achieve that is by the pursuit of wisdom. And what we see happen as the story unfolds is that God honors that request. He blesses him with not only wisdom, but riches and success and all the things that we would all want. But unlike Joshua, Solomon didn't keep the law of the Lord. Unlike David, unlike his father, he didn't follow God's instruction. He didn't read the Bible. And so we see Solomon's demise as the kingdom is then torn from him in the next generation. But what I can zoom out or zoom in really and learn from Solomon is that he wanted, the intention was there. He wanted to leave a positive legacy. And to some extent he did. I mean, you've got the books of um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Scholars would debate if those are actually written by him, but generally they would agree that they are. And so you look at those um, pieces of wisdom literature and you'd say, man, in some regard, he did leave, leave a legacy that was positive. People are still reading those works today. They've been preserved, uh, but he also missed it. And so when I think about that part of his story, it's like, man, okay, there's never going to be a perfect leader on this earth. We're all broken people. We're not going to be perfect, but where are my ditches? And so now as I'm seeking to leave the legacy, I want to be so aware of my own life that I can know, okay, am I prone to be bossy or am I prone to be lazy or am I prone to be apathetic? What are the ditches that just like Solomon could lead to my demise as I seek to leave a good legacy? Wow. I think, I think that's very important what you just said, because, you know, I feel like we all try to be the perfect leaders that we can never be. And I feel like we are just trying to achieve like, okay, I, I, I want to be a perfect leader or I, I want to do the things these ways. And then eventually we mess it up. And then, you know, we end up, end up in the middle of nowhere. And I feel like that is a culture that leaders need to change where like, where we need to change our thinking, where we need to change our poster and, and the whole thing. And then like, take a look at this at a different angle and see what you're trying to do. And I feel like, you know, leaving your legacy, like you just said, you know, David left a legacy with Solomon and Solomon, um, and you know, you, uh, Solomon, like, you know, it's a, it's a debit, it's a very debatable topic, but still Solomon did leave some kind of legacy to us, which we still read the book of Proverbs and all, all, all of these books, Ecclesiastes and uh, Song of Solomon. So I, I feel like that's, that's like, you know, that's something intense too, because he did leave something behind. And as leaders, um, we're just focused on the now. I feel like, especially in this generation, we like, we're just focusing on the now. We don't want to look into the future. We just want to, we just want to go through like a nine to five. That's it. End of the day, we'll, we want to log off by five. That's it. That's what, that's what we're trying to do. But we are not trying to, you know, build up something like what will last over the future. We're just trying to build something that will last for now and which, and it honestly never really works out because what's built for the future will leave it last. What's built for now will only exist when the now ends. 
So, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what, you know, one of the things that you said, I just want to echo off that. And also I want to go on to the next one's like about creative leadership and how do you feel like creative leadership is uh, in this generation right now? And how do you think, you know, that uh, that's, you know, how do you feel? What are some of the ways that, you know, you can be more creative as a leader? Sure. I think there is uh, this, this tendency when it comes to being creative leaders uh, to, to not, to just flat out not be creative in our leadership. I think that's an, an uncommon uh, practice for many people in our generation. So you think about uh, the hot the hot books these days, Atomic Habits or anything Simon Sinek puts out. And those books are full of excellent practices. And the question is, as a young leader, when I wanna learn from someone else's leadership strategy, uh, am I thinking about it like trying on clothes? And what I mean by that is when you go to the store and you're going to buy um, a shirt or a pair of pants, they might look really great on the mannequin, but do they look really great on you? And you've got to go into the dressing room or these days because of COVID, take them home, bring them back, return them to the store so they can be claimed, whatever. But you've got to try on the shirt or the pants or whatever you're trying to buy. And with these leadership practices that we see today, uh, all of them are going to fit each of us slightly different. So it isn't problematic to read leadership books and listen to leadership podcasts like one of this. That's a good thing. Those are great resources. The question is when I receive or intake that information, how am I processing it in light of my own personal context? And so the creative leader is going to uh, learn from the mistakes of other people. They're going to learn best practices from other people. They don't have to reinvent the wheel, but then they're going to understand that it's not just copy and paste or a cookie cutter mold because humans are unpredictable. And so as we lead, I also have to take into account the demeanor of the people I'm leading, the attitude of the people I'm leaving. Those practices might be golden, but if I'm not creatively fine tuning them to my own context, they might not work. Makes sense. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's, that's very true. And, you know, and uh, over, going on over to my next question is uh, uh, how do you build such kind of habits? Like how do you heal, build such kind of, what are some healthy leadership or creative leadership tips that you feel like would be essential for people right now who are leading differently? That's, that's a great question. Uh, my, my friend, Jonathan Pakluda, he says, start simply and simply start. And he's specifically when he says that referring to Bible reading, but I think the principle there is applicable across the board. And so if I decide, okay, I'm going to employ daily journaling, a workout regimen, uh, monthly or weekly lunches with a different employee every week, and I'm going to rearrange my house and re reorganize my fridge and recolor code my closet and come up with all of these practices to help me be a better or more efficient leader. If I've tried to employ all of those at once, uh, it's likely not going to work because as part of, part of developing habits is adapting over time. And so if I just say, I'm going to go full send, here are my 17 habits that I'm about to employ, I may be setting myself up to succeed. But if I say, hey, I'm going to start simply and simply start and focus on my morning rhythm before I head into the office so that I'm coming in with a positive attitude as I seek to lead or uh, my demeanor or best practices for starting a meeting in the middle of the afternoon. If I pick one habit to start with, 
maybe it's a leadership journal at the end of the day. I'm going to reflect on what went well, what I could have done better, what I'm excited about for the rest of the week, what I need to prepare. Maybe that's the practice I'm going to start, but I'm not going to do all of those all at once. And what I've seen in my own life, I mean, specifically, I think you see it with fitness. If you start prioritizing going to the gym in the mornings before work, at first, it's not going to be enjoyable, especially if you haven't been working out. It'll be miserable. But once you really get that habit or that best practice locked in, then it's a lot easier to add on other morning habits. Like I'm going to uh, review these notes before my first meeting of the day on Mondays, which is my rhythm on Mondays. We're recording this on a Monday. So that's what I did. So you can kind of start to see how when you get one down, then you progress. Just like in school when you're learning to read. The books have those little numbers on them in the corner that look like a badge or an icon, say level one, two, three. And at first it's simple sentences like the dog sat by the house. And then eventually as you keep reading, it's the dog quietly sat by the yellow house. And then you keep going and it's like the dog quietly sat near the house that was up on the hill or whatever this in the sentence progresses. And in the same way, as we seek to grow as leaders, we can't expect all of these habits to be deployed overnight, but if we never start, we're never going to be able to read. Wow. I think, I think, I think that's like really, really amazing stuff because, you know, uh, we just need, we need to focus at the task, which is at hand, you know, rather than focusing on your multiple, multiple tasks, you know, if you try to do that, you know, eventually you get burned out and it comes to a point when all of these fail rather than like just focusing on one of them would actually, you know, play the trick. I think, I think that's really amazing because I think in, in leadership, we just need to follow that kind of pattern because it's, it's almost impossible to do that because we try to do multiple stuff. Like, you know, I've tried to multitask and do multiple things at the same time, just to make sure like, you know, we, are, we beat our deadlines. I, I've been guilty of that too. I have been doing that a lot of times, but while we like the, the specific attention and the focus that we get while doing one task at hand is much, is much better, bigger compared to that, than doing all of them at the same time. And that also increases our efficiency as an individual and as a leader. And also, it also, uh, it, it, it also creates a kind of, uh, a kind of pattern that we can follow on further. And I think that that was just like an amazing tip. Um, but yeah, I think we're like almost at the end of the session. And, you know, before we wind up, I want to ask this one last question. What do you, what we, what we, what would be the golden rules or golden leadership rules that you would love to give to any person? Great question. I'd say you don't know it. You don't know everything. So anytime I walk into a meeting or a room, a board meeting, whatever it is, and have a chip on my shoulder that says, I have the best idea. I know better than everyone else. I'm playing with fire. Uh, that's been a, there's a tension there. So uh, the book of Proverbs says the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lion. And so there is something to speaking up and boldness and conviction and standing by it, but that's useless if it's not also paired with humility. And so as I've, I've I, as I have grown as a leader over the past six to 12 months, that is a um, marker that I have really found to be really helpful. If I come in as a young leader into these meetings and demonstrate a posture of humility that says, I, would you help me understand? And then I listen and I'm able to offer, hey, have you ever considered XYZ doing something different? It goes a lot better than where I to walk into the meeting and say, I don't think that's what we should do. We should do this idea instead. Here's why, blah, 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 blah. 
but it's so much more becoming to come in humbly because sometimes I could be wrong. And maybe that mean, it doesn't mean I throw out my idea entirely, but maybe that means I hear the other person out and then tweak or adjust it before presenting it or prior to presenting it in that moment. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is walking into the room with a humble posture and recognizing as a leader that if I think I know everything, I'm playing with fire. Awesome. I think uh, everything, you know, what you just said, is like, you know, you, you were like doing some big mic drops over there with all the content that you just gave up. And I think it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, we come to an end of our session. And, you know, with that, thank you so much for uh, for being here, for inputting all those all, all, all those wisdom, the, the big those big words of wisdom and knowledge and leadership tactics that, you know, that uh, which we all hope like all, all the listeners will be able to follow. And uh, it was an amazing time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. In, in spite of your busy schedule, uh, thank you for trying to fit this into it. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. That was Emma Daughter. Make sure you guys follow her on social media and also listen to her podcast, Join the Journey, which is available on all platforms. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned as we will be back with a new episode next week. Thank you for listening to Bellwether's podcast. If you loved this episode, do not forget to share and subscribe. Also, we would really appreciate if you could leave a review. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.